Hello and welcome to the Green Canary. This week on the show, we're going to talk about the great recycling fail. Why the big supermarket chains went soft on soft plastics. We're also going to be talking about a great big aviation conference that is sending absolutely every wrong climate signal you could possibly send according to its critics. Now, We've got octopuses throwing things at each other later <laughs> in the pod because, of course, we do. And I'm really, really keen to find out whether they use all eight arms to throw things at the same time. We'll get there. We're also going to talk about a great new climate change book. Oh, and there's COP27, almost forgot, bubbling away there. Uh, we've sort of run out of COP puns, so I'm kind of avoiding mentioning it. But I think we will lead the podcast this week with COP27 because I'm sure that my co-host, Elfie Scott, will find a way to make it interesting. Elfie, there's your challenge. And how are you today? Hi, I'm good. Thank you, Ant. Although you're absolutely right. I do not have any cop puns to offer anymore. I'm so sorry. <laughs> no, no more cop outs. No more cop that. No, we can't do it. We're on an editorial policy now of no more puns. <laughs> uh, well, let's just, let's just rip into cop. Look, this, I think, as a overall statement, Elfie, it's fair to say, COP27 hasn't had the same vibe as COP26. COP26 in Glasgow was this kind of moment. It it felt like your first date with 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 a climate hottie. You know, it, it felt <laughs> like it just felt like a moment, like a coming of age for the world moment. COP27 just kind of maybe it's second album syndrome. Well, 27th album syndrome, but you know, it's the one after the one that felt like something. Does it feel the same to you? Yeah, yeah, I think you're totally onto something there, and and look, it does make sense in the global context of so many different priorities coming up. We've just come out of a pandemic. There is a currently a war happening in Europe. There's a lot of things happening at the moment, but it is obviously becoming more and more important that we pay attention to cops and that things happen at cops. And it just doesn't seem like it is working out that way. However, there are some things that have happened this week that we should probably mention. And it's not all lost so far at COP27. So Australia has joined the Global Methane Pledge officially now. This is something that we have been ramping up for for weeks. They've yeah. also joined something called the Green Shipping Challenge, which I had never heard of. It's basically a pledge to clean up the international shipping industry. Australia. I thought they were going to make all the ferries green like in Sydney Harbour. I think they're so pretty, those green ferries. <laughs> I am happy with either way, whatever that initiative actually is. Well, they could do both. Who knows? Yes. Um, we have also joined the Forests and Climate Leaders Partnership and officially put in our bid to host COP31 in 2026 alongside Pacific Nations. So there are a couple of different things that have happened, but obviously, yes, there is a lot of disappointment with COP27 as well. So, for example, like Chris Bowen has basically said that it is super unlikely that there's going to be any agreement over calls for wealthy nations to pay loss and damage compensation to developing countries. Uh, that is really frustrating for a lot of organisations. I think week two possibly is going to be quite the flop, but we will see. Look, the loss and damage is the big one. We, we've been talking about these um, payments for climate adaptation for developing nations uh, over the past couple of weeks. That was always going to be the theme of this COP uh, because it's held in Egypt, which is advanced in many ways, but it's still, I believe, classed as a developing nation. Um, if the West 
which must own and to some extent does own uh, the biggest role in the climate crisis. Um, if the West is to help uh, the developing world get on board with net zero type goals, uh, we need to pay them some money to help transition to clean fuels. That is what the developing nations are seeking. That looks like what they are not getting. If there really is no serious loss and damage payment scheme uh, to come out of COP27, then they might as well have spent the two weeks snorkeling in the glorious waters of the Red Sea um, where, where, where this conference is being held because not a lot else will really be achieved. But as you said, little things, we've signed the Mean Thane Pledge. We also, I believe, joined the Global Mangrove Alliance. Ah, uh, yes. Good. I do love a mangrove. Um, <laughs> and, and, you know, so does the world. Um, and basically, um, the week ahead, um, it's, it's, we really, really just have to focus on this, this finance issue um, mm -hmm. to, to help, smaller nations end off yeah yeah all right well uh, let's move on because we have a kind of packed episode this week uh so the next story we are going to cover will be the news that broke last week that australia's biggest plastic bag recycling program known as red cycle has well and truly died, at least for the moment. So it was revealed that hundreds of millions of plastic bags and other soft plastics that were being dropped off at Coles and Woolworths were just being secretly stockpiled in warehouses and they were not at all actually being recycled. So for the uninitiated, um, there have been these bins that have been available at Coles and Woolworths. And do you drop off your soft plastics? Is that part of your routine when you go shopping? Uh, Elfie, um... I put a little backpack on my back and I high street shop. I am the greatest hipster ah. in, in Australia when it comes. Um, I do that to support local businesses. I go to a butcher, a baker, a candlestick maker, uh, <laughs> you know, a grocer, um, a, an Indian grocer, a South Asian grocer. Um, yeah, an East Asian grocer. Sorry. I, I really uh, high street shop and have made it my mission never to set foot again in a Coles or a Woolworths as long as I live. Ah. There you go. That is actually a very interesting mission, Anne, and I might think about doing the same. But Coles and Woolworths, speaking of, yeah, it's good fun. It's good fun, but I'm lucky. I live in one of those parts of Sydney where, where a high street shopping is is still a viable thing to do. Um, and it's, look, I they, they both made a billion dollars plus last year profit, Coles and Woolies. Um, I hate the way when, when one of these things happen, Elfie, okay, Coles and Woolies, they've done the right thing. Public relations, good for them. They have facilitated a plastics recycling program. They have made it possible for you to use their space to put things there. And then they push it off to a company called Red Cycle. Red Cycle becomes bad at what it does for some pretty piss weak excuses, it must be said. Uh, whether those excuses are real or not, they sounded piss weak. Um, okay, Woolies and Coles, who made a billion each last year, buy a warehouse. <laughs> Probably get one for a million dollars. That, that's, you know, one one thousandth of your profit. Buy a warehouse and you set up the scheme yourself. Be mm. the fresh food people. You know, be the fresh earth people. You know, do an initiative that doesn't rely on someone else. Don't just have the goodwill that you've bought through someone else's hard work. Do the work yourself. Start the program yourself. This is my stance on this issue. <laughs> 
I think that's fair enough, actually. Although it has to be said that there have just been so many controversies about recycling in the past couple of years that have come to the surface. And I think that it really just draws attention to the idea that like plastic recycling in general is really fucking hard to do properly. And it seems like there are massive holes in all of these systems. And it also brings attention, again, to how much plastic Australians are just using in general. So I found a statistic, Anne, that says we consume more plastics just per capita than any other nation. It's about four times higher than the global average. That that is a sadistic statistic. I do not like that. Yes, exactly. So I do think that we have a pretty blasé attitude towards plastics and plastic recycling and these stories should just bring our attention back to that sort of consumption and actually making these processes viable in the future i think that's well said and i think i also liked the way you swore earlier i think we're getting swearier as the year work goes on i think this it's late in the be... year it's november what are you gonna do i think <laughs> in workplaces across australia by about november out it comes the potty language so look before <laughs> before we drop a really bad one let's move to this week's uh, feature interview why don't we Elfie and, and yes um, I, I enjoyed doing this it was a change of pace sometimes as uh, listeners know we get an interview that's totally in tune with the news cycle gas prices something like that other times we just go hey this is on our mind hey this is on our mind that's this week <laughs> now look I try not to fly as well as trying not to go to Coles or Woolies or big supermarket chains and I take that really seriously. I, t- I try not to fly. Um, as you know, I took a train when I was in Albury recently back to Sydney, but by accident, I was in Albury. Don't ask you how you accidentally end up in Albury. Just it, it happens. It happens. It sounds like a scene from The Hangover, but I accidentally <laughs> found myself in Albury and needed to get the hell out of Albury. No offense, Albury. Got a train, had this amazing tweet that just got incredible engagement. People wanted uh, to talk about trains and how they are better than planes in some ways, how they could be get better than planes if we, uh, you know, invested in them. Anyway, one group that almost never flies, and I really respect them, is Flight Free Australia. I said almost never flies. I think they never fly now. They do great work. They, lobby, they are lobbying currently against Melbourne Airport's proposed third runway. And this week, Flight Free Australia is going to have a really big week. They are protesting a major aviation industry meeting in melbourne let's find out all about that as we roll my interview this week with adam mungle of flight free australia okay so this week in melbourne a bunch of delegates are flying in from around the world keyword there is flying in they are going to have themselves an aviation conference they're going to talk about slots which is possibly the most boring nerdy aviation thing you can talk about how many, which planes are going to go where. I understand it's actually quite competitive. But we're not really interested in the slots. We're interested in the fact that a 1,000 people in aviation are going to talk about how we can expand aviation at a time when COP27 is running and we are looking at ways to decarbonise or at least to strongly reduce our carbon footprint. Now, our guest this this week is Alex Mungle, He is from Flight Free Australia. Alex and his mates from that group, it is very safe to say, are not necessarily thrilled about the conference that is happening in Melbourne this week. We thought we'd talk to him about that and other things. How are you today, Alex? I'm pretty good. Yeah, it's a horrible day in Melbourne. So um, I think it's a great uh, way to greet IATA delegates from all around the world with this uh, choppy, crappy weather. 
<laughs> a classic Melbourne uh, welcome for the delegates from IATA, which of course stands for the International Aviation, help me out here. Transport Association. Yes, of course it does. Thank you very much. So why are IATA meeting and why are you angry about it? Look, um, so Flight Free Australia is um, a group of pledgers who have decided to stop flying uh, because of climate emergency. Uh, meanwhile, uh, IATA is uh, growing aviation by 4% a year. Uh, not only that, they're, uh, uh, in our opinion, greenwashing uh, themselves and pretending that they have a plan to change that. Um, and uh, it's just stuck in our craw that that uh, they are apparently getting away with uh, growing emissions while uh, the rest of us are trying to do something to decrease our emissions from aviation. Okay, so I have, uh, for my sins, ploughed through some of the IATA, the International Air Transport Association, material. Uh, it was last year at the, at, at the meeting in Boston, USA in October that they passed a resolution. Uh, that re resolution said, look, we are going to commit to achieving net zero carbon emissions from all member organisations of IATA by 2050. This, of course, brings them more or less in line with the Paris Agreement to limit global warming to 1.5. You sneer at that pledge. You laugh at that pledge. Why is it unrealistic? Well, uh, did you find anything there that explains how they're going to do that uh, at all, Anthony? Well, yes, there were four, four bullet points. And, you know, I, I for, for, for the listener's sake, you know, I'll, I'll summarise them really, really briefly. Um, there, it's to do with aviation fuel, bringing, bringing uh, sustainable aviation fuel, whether that even exists, but bringing it to the market. Uh, it's to do with inefficiency in air traffic management. It's to do with more efficient uh, design and propulsion technologies. And fourthly, it's uh, to do with airport operators helping them out with infrastructure around things like sustainable fuels. So there's this sort of framework of stuff they'd kind of like, but it's a bit Santa Clausy, isn't it? It's my understanding that none of that's really seriously happening yet. Okay, I would love to see some scrutiny, some serious scrutiny of any uh, analysis of this that suggests that it's actually possible to do what they're uh, saying they would like to do. Yeah. Um, so to, to, to name a few of the things you've mentioned, um, they are so-called sustainable aviation fuels. Um, we like to call them alternative aviation fuels because they're far from sustainable. Um, they, they have been called uh, colonial aviation fuels. Um, we think it could possibly lead to world hunger because if they try to create uh, biofuels by uh, taking away cropping land from uh, agriculture, uh, that is going to use masses of good land for uh, sustaining agriculture, uh, sustaining aviation. That's a very good point, um, and and so you you feel that for a number of reasons their their net zero pledge is uh, incorrect in some some of the modelling they're doing, you know things like that. But overall, 
these guys are aiming for a, as you put it, 4% uh, percent increase, or they're not aiming this. That's where aviation is, is heading. 4% a year, it is growing. That means it'll double in what, 10, 15 years? In 15 years. Well, it's, it's been doing that for decades now, and there's no sign of it letting up. Um, and to grow in this in this way with different fuels than what we've been using, um, they themselves are, are saying will require massive taxpayer subsidies. And disappointingly, the Australian government has this year formed a jet council with the uh, airlines and are talking about sustainable aviation fuels. Now, it's multiples of cost on existing fuels uh, to create uh, biofuels for uh, aviation, uh, and someone has to pay that cost. Now, is the Australian government going to add to the existing $1 billion of um, uh, subsidies to aviation, according to the Australian Institute, and, um, and make us pay for... Uh, a habit that you know is marketed as something that everybody does, but um, uh, only twenty percent of the global population has ever flown in an airplane, and uh, one percent of the world's population is responsible for fifty percent of aviation emissions. So we think the real problem is frequent flyers, private jets, uh, and the. Uh, greenwashing of aviation, pretending that it is sustainable. And uh, the airlines have a million ways of explaining how their product is, is just fine and dandy, but other, other people's carbon is the problem. I mean, this week's conference is a very, very good idea, uh, good example, isn't it? Uh, here's a thousand, a thousand delegates flying in. And you can't tell me you can't negotiate this sort of thing uh, by Zoom. You know, you're in Melbourne, I'm in Sydney today. I have not flown down to have this chat with you. There's a lot of uh, aviation uh, industry people who maybe could be setting that example themselves today. But Alex, before we go, I want to ask you really briefly uh, about the Melbourne Third Runway. Now, I know that there was a submission uh, <clears throat> excuse me, period earlier this year. And I know that the thing can't be built, even if construction were to start immediately, till about 2027. Um, what are your thoughts on the third runway? Is it likely to happen? And are you still fighting it? We're absolutely fighting it. Um, recently, Schiphol Airport in Amsterdam um, chose voluntarily to uh, reduce their overall flights because of the climate emergency. Um, Whereas Melbourne Airport's proposals in the major development plan are for a new runway that will have a 50% increase in emissions from aviation. Um, this is against the global trend, um, but uh, they seem quite you know, barefaced about it and, and plowing ahead. So we're hoping for Catherine King, the transport minister, to look at the overall government promises on reducing emissions and, and not give aviation a different set of standards to live by. Just, uh, I, I said sort of lastly before we go, and that was well said by you, but aviation, it's my understanding, is something like two or three or a little bit more percent of overall global emissions where's it heading i mean if this industry is doubling in size in 15 years 
Uh, I, coal wouldn't be doubling in size in 15 years, nor the would nor would most other heavy emitting industries. Uh, it seems to me that that uh, aviation emissions as a proportion of overall emissions are, excuse the vague aviation pun, skyrocketing. Yeah, in proportion, absolutely. Uh, studies have predicted that by 2050, aviation emissions can be 22% of the global uh, emissions problem. Um, that that's European studies. Um, we don't have similar studies in Australia, but you know I don't think they're going to find a different result. Um, the the big problem with that's never that's always overlooked is that carbon emissions are only part of the problem, but there's multiple other emissions where, that are uh, put into the atmosphere. How can we draw down emissions from the atmosphere if all of these pollutants are going high in the atmosphere where they form clouds and, and cause radiative forcing um, uh, global warming? Um, so th these things need to be addressed, not overlooked. And um, that's why we're going to be uh, protesting at IATA slots conference. We, we need... Um, uh, we need real real reductions in aviation emissions, not not emissions as usual as the uh, aviation industry wants to go with. Yeah, well, I support uh, your protest this week, Alex, and uh, I I also congratulate you and Flight Free Australia on the work that you do. And thank you so much for coming onto the Green Canary today and sharing a bit of your knowledge. Thanks, mate. All right. What a great interview and what a really fascinating topic to delve into this week. And so you try not to fly as much yeah. as humanly possible. He mentioned back there private jets. And I feel like that's something that has come up in the media quite a lot in recent years as celebrities flying on private jets. There was a whole thing about Taylor Swift's private jet. I don't know if you saw that on Twitter a little while ago, where she would just take off and land in like different parts of the same city, essentially just going on like burger runs. <laughs> Oh, wow. It's so wasteful, but it is incredible to see people taking this seriously and to hear those statistics about how much the aviation industry is going to be contributing to emissions in the future. Yeah, I mean, Taylor Swift is the only celebrity that can get away with that because of her surname. Like she is she is bound <laughs> by her That's surname true. <laughs> to get around quickly. But everyone else, the game's up. You have no excuse. Um, you know, Adam Mungle reminded us of that. Um, I think it's great they're going to be out there protesting this conference this week in Melbourne. A thousand aviation executives talking about who can park their jets where. Bugger off and let's get serious about uh, cutting down on aviation. You do not need to fly everywhere, people. All right, let's move on to mulch. The little bits and pieces at the end of the podcast. And Elfie, um, happy birthday to a lot of people tomorrow, tomorrow, Tuesday. Uh, if you're listening to the uh, podcast on Tuesday, then today, anyway, Tuesday the 15th of November is when the UN reckons the world is going to hit 8 billion people. And that's a lot of people, isn't it? Yes, it is so wild. So this is a massive milestone for humanity. Obviously, that's quite a lot of people. Um, although it is said that the growth rate is starting to slow down, interestingly. So fertility rates across the world are sort of plummeting quite a bit and you know, some countries' populations are actually starting to shrink already. So we're hitting this milestone, but it's likely that that sort of growth is going to slow into the future. Um, there was I a think great... we're going to hit 9 billion, Elfie, uh, around 2050. Yeah. And then we will go downhill thereafter. Um, 
course, if we haven't achieved net zero by about the same time, we'll be going downhill in all sorts of ways. But but um, yeah, it seems like we've reached peak population, mostly regard, uh, related to demographics. Mm, yes. Well, there is a great ABC article uh, online at the moment that is basically running through how demographics are set to change in the next century yeah. or so because populations are aging. Anyway, welcome to the new world of 8 billion people and happy birthday to all those little babies tomorrow. Now, eight is the number because as we talked about, not just 8 billion people, as we talked about in the intro, octopuses have eight legs. And what the hell? We love octopuses here. We, we've had several little octopus segments in our mulch. I know. I love octopus stories. They're awesome. Well, you're the one that find them. So <laughs> please uh, allow me to uh, desist and tell us all about the Ockies. Um, by the way, this uh, story in our script is titled Octopuses Throw Shit at Each Other. It's not literal shit, but it is no. stuff. So this story comes from research that has been done uh, off the coast of Jervis Bay. And basically researchers have set up all these cameras looking at the behaviours of octopuses. And they've found that octopuses like to throw things quite a bit. So they're hurling silt and algae and like shells at each other. And this is interesting because there's only a handful of animals in the world that are known to actually pitch things at objects and target things. One octopus in this study even started chucking stuff at the, one of the research cameras. They don't know why they're doing this. Um, they like There are a couple of theories that I read, but basically I just like to think that octopuses are bitchy little animals that <laughs> like to assert themselves. You know what I mean? Maybe they're bored. Maybe they're bored. I remember, I remember when I was a kid, we when I was bored, I used to just sit outside and we had these sort of pebbles, uh, you know, in the middle of the driveway and one of those old-fashioned sort of stripes down the middle. And and I used to just chuck them at this post and chuck them at this post. And one day mum said, why are there no pebbles left anymore in the middle? <laughs> and I, that, that could be octopuses. They could just be throwing things for joy. It could be some sort of mating dance. I'm surprised they don't know. But Maybe we know, should have set up um, cameras outside your house, Ant, to see what you get up to in your spare time. We might have, might have been able to answer two uh, questions at the same time, two two birds with one stone. But listen, uh, stone, pebble. But um, have they been using multiple arms to throw things at the same time? Or is no. that unanswered? Okay, so they don't actually use their arms. I think what they do is they toss stuff oh. up in the air and then they like jet water at the object to like propel it in a direction. So they use what are called siphons, which I think are those valves at the side of their bodies that they basically use to swim and move around. Octopuses are so cool, guys. Read every book about an octopus that you possibly can. We might even have to write one. All right, so speaking <laughs> of books, good segue uh, little platform there, Elfie. Um we interviewed on the pod a couple of weeks ago, Christopher Wright, professor of Sydney Uni. I've got his book now. I only had a PDF of it before the interview, but it's such a great read. Uh, it's on about, it's called Organising Responses to mm. Climate Change. It's all about sort of mobilising uh, people in ways that can actually make a difference. There's another climate book out by another eminent Australian. This is by Joel Gerges. Is it Gerges? Or Gerges? I believe so. I, yeah. I would say Gerges. Joelle Gerges, you know her, I don't. Tell us about her book. Yes, yeah, so I am reading this at the moment. I basically thought I would just give a bit of a book shout out because we're coming into summer. This is the time yeah. that people want to buy their books for sitting on the beach and actually getting their reading done. And this is by the IPCC author, Joelle Gerges. It's a fantastic book called Humanity's Moment. And 
It is brilliantly researched, obviously, but what is really captivating about this book is that Joelle is a fantastic writer and it's a really, really great read. Deeply depressing in bits, extremely distressing, but the sort of stuff that is very important to know about. And coming from an IPCC author, it's a really, really brilliant read. So I would highly recommend picking that up for your summer reads alongside Christopher Wright's. Excellent, excellent. And look, just lastly, last little snippet of news. I just want to give a shout out to Bob Brown. You've still got <laughs> it. You've still got it, Bob, the father of Australian environmentalism. 77 these days. He's been arrested again. I love your work, Bob. This time he was in uh, Tasmania's Eastern Tears uh, Forest. He was protesting uh, native forest logging, of course, because there are swift parrot in the area. Uh, swift parrot are terrific birds and they are not to be uh, screwed with. Just ask Bob. Uh, he said that this harvesting of this forest was an outrage against nature. He'll be fighting any charge laid against him. He'll be in court on December 21. If I was in Hobart, I'd turn up. It'd be a good day out. Anyway, love your work, Bob. Yes, well done. I love this story and it sort of motivates me. Not so much to get arrested, but to get out there. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, all right. Well, that is all we have time for on the Green Canary today. Thank you so much for joining us. As always, we would like to acknowledge the traditional custodians of the land on which we're recording, the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. We'd like to pay our respect to elders past and present and acknowledge that this land was stolen, never ceded. Thank you, Elfie. And I'd just like to remind everyone that you can subscribe to our weekly newsletter uh, by emailing hello at thegreencanary.co. Had a couple of new ones last week, more than a couple, so that was great. Um, newsletter comes out every Wednesday, bit of what's in the pod, bit of other stuff, bit of analysis, all really interesting. Thank God for our newsletter. People tell us every week. And you can also follow us on Twitter at greencanarypod is our handle there. We still believe in Twitter. It might be around for another few days. <laughs> Never know your luck. And uh, we are there on Instagram at Green Canary Media, which Elon Musk has not ruined at all yet, as far as we know. And that's about all. And we will see you next week on The Canary. Bye. Bye. Bye.